Welcome to another episode of the Brown Couch Bros. Brown Couch Bros. My brother, customary toast. As usual, always. Fantastic. It's the Honcho and the Loaf coming at you once again with a great, great show today. Uh, we have a guest and we'll introduce in just a second, but uh, let's start this off with a tip off. The tip off. Tip, tip, the tip drill. All right. So, NBA season tipped off yesterday. Uh, yeah, two games. We saw Giannis and the the Milwaukee Bucks get their rings uh, and and put it on Brooklyn without Kyrie Irving. Uh, and then we also saw the chef uh, cooking up against LeBron and the Lakers. I was surprised. I, you know, on my fan duel, I had the Lakers minus the three. Of course, they didn't cover. They lost. But I did have the Bucks, and I was looking at the the Nets and. They're not going to win a championship without Kyrie. Yeah, and I, it, it looked as if they they struggled a bit. And what I was surprised about with the Nets was that they didn't come out with the level of intensity that I thought they should have. I mean, let's not forget, the Bucks put them out of the playoffs last year. And so, to me, I thought they should have come in really with a chip on their shoulder saying, hey, you know, last year is not going to happen this year. Uh, we ready to we ready to rock and roll with you guys, and so I really didn't see that out of the Nets. I don't know if that was because there was a lack of Kyrie or not, um, but the level of intensity to me wasn't there on their part. I think, and you just mentioned with the lack of uh without Kyrie being there, but just to build up all of that week with the Kyrie, everybody talking about Kyrie this, Kyrie that, and I don't don't get me wrong, they're pros, they're professionals. You're still supposed to go out and do your job. But at the end of the day, that is a distraction. Oh, no doubt it's a distraction. So them I'm, coming into that game, I mean, Harden and, of course, uh, Durant, they were probably fully immersed. But, you know, those two right there, they, they won't be the Milwaukee Bucks team that you seen last night in the playoff. But how about Giannis? You got a guy who, who, who came into the NBA as, as really as a project um, and has developed – uh, put on 20, 30 pounds of muscle, uh, continue to work on his game, uh, and has been the MVP and has been the, the defensive player of the year, uh, had an opportunity to, to, to jump ship and leave, but stayed and said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to win a championship right here in Milwaukee with the team that believed in me. And he did it. And, and, and missed all of, uh, of the, the, the criticism that he took uh, with his, his uh, air ball and free throws and, and, and the whole nine yards. This guy, this guy makes free throws to win uh, the game in, in game six last year for the championship. And then comes into this year and really essentially dominates uh, the other night against, against um, um, Brooklyn. I mean, really a hats off to him and it's really a testament to his loyalty because you don't we don't see that a lot of professional sports you don't see that a lot of professional sports and um speaking of Giannis, it all you have to do is look at the list that just came out with the top 75 75 years of the nba being uh having evolved to where it is now and I, they brought the top 25 names out yesterday and he was already on it yeah he's so, on that list enough said about Giannis. he's a basketball hall of famer already Within eight, nine years in the league, he has a championship. He has an MVP. Uh, congratulations, Giannis. Take and your hat off to him. That's all you can do. And congratulations to the Crusaders, Martin Luther King High School. Martin Luther King High School. You know, the one thing I can say about, and I think, you know, me and I talked to somebody about it uh, before, uh, probably our last guest, uh, Tony Blankenship, we were talking about the continuity in the coaching staff. Yep. When you have a staff like King has that uh, has continuity, they've been together for 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, they know how to make adjustments. They they were one of the first programs, to my knowledge, that would actually leave the state and go to coaching clinics. Right. You right. know, inner high school coaches going out to college coaching clinics to learn different strategies, different techniques. And that cohesiveness is always shows when it comes to tight games particularly against Cass and other top competition in the state. So, once again, they, they went over to Northwestern High School, uh, down 15 nothing at halftime against Cass. 
Came back, shut cast out the whole second half, and um, ended up winning the game 21-15, another city championship for King. Uh, hats off to Coach Spencer. Great job over there. Hey, yeah. King Crusaders. And my son's teammate, Chauncey Willis Jr., catches a, a, a touchdown late uh, to, 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 to lead him ahead. Yeah, to seal, seal the deal. Yeah. Are there two uh, – and I, I was thinking about this. Are there two schools um, uh, better than Cass and King when it comes to athletics and academics? And just the sheer history of both of those schools uh, in terms of their prowess on the field, on the playing surface – and in the classroom? I would have to say probably not. Um, at one time, you probably could have threw Renaissance in it. They had a late run with some great athletes. And, of course, the academics always been there at Renaissance. But for the most part, Cass King, uh, when you speak about when you talk about Detroit football, those are the main two uh, high schools that, that, that I mentioned. Uh, definitely sending kids to college to get a greater education uh, and – Hey, the tradition is there. I think King got four state championships. I think Cass has three. So, and that rivalry is like uh, Ohio State, Michigan, any other great rivalry. You know, those guys, they know when they come. And I, I realize, I, I see now, that, you know, I think Cass really realizes now that, you know, you it's, it's a four-quarter game. It's not two. Yeah, and, and, and not just football. I mean, look at look at basketball, basketball. as well. And, exactly. and, and you know, I, I, I got to – uh, give myself a shameless plug as a former coach with the girls over at King. Uh, we have several banners uh, in, in in that gym uh, over there, and a few uh, against my our guest uh, school uh, over at Cass. Uh, you know, so we we've hung a few uh, with the late great William Winfield, uh, R.I.P. Uh, to the to one of the greatest coaches uh, in, the, in in high school sports in the most state of Michigan, most definitely. Uh, William Winfield, uh, but but Cass King rivalry, and we got a a Cass Tech technician in the house. Yes, sir. Uh, Cam Nichols, welcome on, to the show. What's going on, fellas? How y'all doing? Welcome, Coach. Welcome, welcome. Glad to be here. It's a pleasure to be here. My son is a Cass alumni, 2014. Okay, all right. So you basketball. both you both Cass and King. That's cool. No, no, that's I'm, cool. I'm all the way Cass. I'm a Kinsey. I'm a Kinsey. Oh, okay, all right, all right. Well, McKenzie closed and they went to King. They ain't go to Cass. Well, look, I, I didn't graduate. Remember, Nick Harry didn't go to Cass. He went to King. I didn't graduate from King. My son is a sophomore at okay. King. You know, right. making his way through, he and is. I coached there with Winfield. Right, so, I'm, right. so you got I'm, history. I'm, I got history. I got history with the Black. It's all good. It's all good, man. Cass and King can sit at the same table it's all good we might disagree but we can sit at the same table it's all we, can. Same we can we <laughs> can no doubt no doubt yeah, yeah. um so cam yes sir big time coach uh big time player over at Cass. Yep. uh won a city championship yep. uh 1998 with the Cass uh technicians yes, Some sir. great great teams there mm -hmm. uh and now you know going on to 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 do a lot of great things around the game of basketball of course always fancies yourself as a pretty good shooter so we're gonna get to that a little bit later oh, no, it's only three people that shoot better than me but we're gonna get to that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that we're gonna get to that a little we'll bit later that. we'll yeah, get to that sure. a little we'll bit later three one three i take it you'll be at least one of those three ah uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure <laughs> Why not? Why not? Let, hey, let, here. Let's take the rust uh, <laughs> approach to it all. Why not? Why not? All right, all right. Let's get it. But Cam, tell us a little bit about yourself. How, how, how did you get uh, involved in the game of basketball? Well, I've always been involved um, around the game of basketball. Uh, my dad coached. My brothers played. Uh, my dad was a legendary coach at Kettering in the yep. 70s. I remember your dad. Yeah. Uh, won a city championship mm -hmm. with those guys. Uh, coached with Dick Vitale at UAD. Uh, so he was a high-level coach. Uh, coach at U of M Dearborn, before they did whatever, he had the best record that ever was at U of M Dearborn. So um, outside of that, he was a superintendent of uh, the DPS. So he mm -hmm. ran the public school league for quite some time. Yep, and I remember when that. he I ran remember the that. public school league, was mm -hmm. probably at the peak. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's probably not where it is now. Uh, but when, when he ran it, it was, it was on the up and up. Um, so just being around the game, uh, always being in the gym, um, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of hobbies going up, to be honest with you. My hobby was basketball. Right. Mm -hmm. So whether it was outside in, in the backyard, whether it was down the street, whether it was at school, like the thing I did was was basketball. Like that was my thing. And, you know, going to cast and playing at cast and then playing in college and overseas, it just it always followed me. 
And I had a young man ask me a question about like a few years ago. Did an interview, nice little YouTube interview. And he was like, Coach, what do you do when your ball stops bouncing? And I said, for me, it's never going to stop bouncing. And he was like, wow, that's interesting. I was like, well, for me, I was like, I'm always going to be involved with the game. Whether I'm playing the game, mm. whether I'm coaching the game, whether I'm refing the game, whether I'm taking stats, whether I'm being a scout, I'm going to be around the game of basketball. Like basketball, for people that say ball is life, like for me, that's, that is ball is life. Mm -hmm. So it's no, it's no idea where you'll see my three-year-old, he in the basement, and he hitting shots because he know daddy shoot basketball. Mm -hmm. He know daddy watch basketball all the time. That's what I'm going to do. And that's kind of how I grew up. Uh, my background was a basketball, we had basketball sports family. And it's kind of rolled into what I do now and how I raise my family is just basketball is, is my life. Now, do you, you have kids that you, you mentioned a son? Yep, I got two kids. <laughs> I got two kids under the age of four. Putting shots up. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I put the, oh, yeah. Right. It, there, it's crazy because it might, not, it might seem small, mm -hmm. but there is not a single day they don't pick up a ball and go to the little rim and shoot. Now, it might seem small now, but like maybe five, 10 years, 15 years from now, you'd be like, man, you're a really good player. You'd be like, well, I was getting buckets when I was two, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, they don't know it, but like, I don't force it on them. So all I do is I put the balls around. I got the rims everywhere. They know daddy buy the rims. Mama might buy the, the, the whatever. Daddy buy the basketball rims. <laughs> we got about four or five rims in the crib. We got two outside. We got three in the basement. We got one in the bedroom. Whenever you want to play, we can play. <laughs> Whenever you want to do it. Right, I don't force right, it. I don't right, say, right. like, oh, I need you to sit here and make 10 shots. Nah, no. Just just know if you ever want to get down, let's go. So, and that's just kind of how, you know, I operate. It's just basketball. It's going to be a part of what I do for however long that I'm here. Talk about your playing days at Cass. Uh, some yeah. really good teams there. Um, Great teams. Win a city championship in 1998. 1998. Uh, talk about your experience there playing. Well, I played for Coach Shannon. And playing for Coach Shannon is a different experience. The brother uh, Shannon. The brother Shannon. Yep. <laughs> Dog. Yep, yeah. the brother Shannon. And, you know, you know, my experience at Cass was different than uh, some other guys. Uh, my experience at Cass was our team was so good. We had so many talented players that everybody can't go D1. So on the team that I play on, I play with six other Division I basketball players. On the same team. On the same team. Right. Right. So when I tell players that I coach, you know, I tell them, I didn't average 10 points a game in high school. And they look at me like, I'm crazy. They're like, what you mean you average 10 points a game? Like, I ain't average 10 points a game. I said, we had a guy on our team go to Duke to play football and basketball. Had a guy go to UAD. He had a guy to go to Miami. He had a guy to go to Youngstown State. Had a guy go to Toledo. And a guy go to Colgate. Like, somebody got to play Division II. I was a D2 guy. <laughs> Right, I right. got no problems telling you right. that at all. But you average eight and nine points a game. You, 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 right. I don't know what I averaged in high school. I don't know. Our team was so good, it didn't matter. Everybody had a role. My role was when I catch it on the wing, I'm going to swing it to the top of the key, and I'm going to set the screen for the best shooter on the team. That was my role. I'm going to do that, and I'm going to be a defender. So that was my role. So in 1998, when we had to play Detroit Central, Coach Shannon said, all right, Nick, you got to guard Gates. I'm like – Antonio Gates? <laughs> I got a guard. Who? Right. You got him. I'm like, coach, he got me by three inches and a hundred pounds. Like, how am I supposed You want to play? You want a jersey? Yeah, I want a jersey. Well, you got Gates. I'm like, all right. Well, I guess I got to figure out how to guard Gates. But he was such a player at the time, you couldn't really guard him. But mm -hmm. that was my matchup. So my experience at Cass was that. Like, I played a role. Uh, didn't average a bunch of points. Mm -hmm. uh, I played on the team. I started. I started a bunch of games. My junior and senior year won a city championship. Uh, but I played a role. And for most basketball mm -hmm. players, for most athletes, you're not going to be the star player. And, and, you're going to have to play a role. Let me ask you this. Yes, and, sir. I know it's on topic, but it's kind of off topic. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about role players, mm -hmm. how will the Lakers with those guys, uh, with Carmelo, Rondo, uh, Brian uh -huh. Davis, some and I, I watched last night mm -hmm. like uh, AD and LeBron. 
you you know what you're gonna get when you exactly. when those guys step on the court. Yep. But the guys like Melo, Rondo, Westbrook, mm-hmm. Dwight, I think Dwight kind of know his know knows his role. He knows. So how will they? How how, how does that work? When we're speaking it, it, about the Lakers, and I'm just gonna talk about the Lakers, and this is just my take. It might be a national hot take. I don't care. This is just my take. It's a bad mix. Mm. The reason why is, and last night was just not an anomaly. It wasn't just one bad game where you tell Russ to go watch a comedy movie to chill out and, and smile. It wasn't an anomaly. It's a bad mix. The reason why it's a bad mix, you have too many ball-dominant players mm-hmm. on one roster. Now, can it work out? It might. Now, in order for it to work out, it's going to take one of those ball-dominant guys to say, you know what, I don't need the ball. It might take Carmelo to say, instead of me getting 10 shots, I'm going to have to take five. Instead of Russ taking 13 shots, I might have to take seven. It's going to take people outside of LeBron and AD because it's clear that they, they're the top tier mm-hmm. of those guys, right? But you still have too many ball-dominant guys thinking that I need to make the plays for the team, and they don't. So until somebody says, I need to be more of a role player, exactly, is when it's going to actually turn into wins and success. If they still all trying to score and trying to make plays, it's not going to work. In my opinion, I think right now it's a bad mix until somebody decides, you know what, I got to get a ball up. Yeah, wow. and, and and I think you you mentioned something that's very interesting. You talked about uh, your days at Cass and mm-hmm. in terms of playing with with six other guys who yep. went D one, mm-hmm. uh, and you being able to understand that mm-hmm. at a very young age, yeah, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years old, mm-hmm. uh, and accepting that role uh, uh, on the floor. Um, when I played at St. Francis, we recruited a kid, a point guard. Um, out of uh, St. Anthony's in Jersey City. He was the third string point guard. Behind the Hurley boys? On that team. He was the third string point guard on that team. He started for us. Right. He started for us. Mm -hmm. He probably played garbage minutes in high school, but he was, those teams were so stacked back then. I mean, you're talking about, you you would compare St. Anthony's to the southwestern teams in the nineties and late eighties with Jalen and Rashawn and all, and all those guys. So I, I say all that to say, when, as we look forward and really think about kids today, you hardly ever see that now. You hardly ever see that because kids today will opt to be featured mm-hmm. instead of playing winning basketball with a winning program. And learning and developing their games. And so, you know, it's a testament to you. Uh, and, and, and I'm sure it has a lot to do with your success at Second Old Valley State. And then your success even after that, coaching. Right. So kind of go into that. Kind of go into, to, you know, uh, your career at Second Old Valley and then now uh, as a coach. Well, let me speak to, I'm going to double back on the role player before I get to my college crane career. Um, I had no choice. So the coaches back in the day, either you do what I say or, or you, you don't, don't play. play. Or you don't play. So I was the best shooter in the school. I had the varsity jacket, said cash on delivery. Every, the whole school was the best shooter. The whole school. Wait, what did you say? Cash. The whole school. Oh, man, that's the best varsity jacket ever. Oh, it was ever. Right there. Ever. And, I drew the, and I drew the picture. All right, cash right? on delivery. So the whole right. school knew. You got to send us a picture of your varsity jacket. Oh, I'm going to send it to you. Right, right. I'm going to send it to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, you got to. Put no, it's cash on delivery. It's classy. Cash on delivery. For sure. The whole school. Right. Ask me how many threes I took at cash. I mean, Zero. You take it <laughs> Zero. I wasn't the shooter. Right. Tico Clark was the shooter. Yeah. Uh, so yep. Coach Shannon said, son, <laughs> listen. It's how he talks. Son, listen. You shoot one three, you ain't never going to play. play. <laughs> I'm like, what you mean? Like, I'm the best shooter in this school. He's like, son, <laughs> you ain't going to play. And your daddy, your daddy is my boss. Right? <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. You're not gonna play. Daddy didn't put no pressure oh, on him either, goodness. did he? Yeah. Daddy oh. didn't even put oh, no pressure. Oh, he stayed, he stayed out of he stayed it. Out but of it didn't yeah. matter. Yeah, right. I know your daddy, my boss. You still ain't gonna play if you shoot, right? right? So in the game, I'm catching it and I'm swinging it because I wanted to play, right? Right. I didn't right. want to come out the game. 
So all of my friends are like, why don't you shoot? And I'm like, well, coach is telling me to pass the ball. I'm going to pass the ball so I can play. I'm not going to be like the three guys at the end of the bench that don't want to defy the coach. Right. And they're going to shoot the ball, and then they come out the game. No, nah, I'm going to play. Mm. No, nah, this team too good. I got to be on the floor. People got to see me. Mm -hmm. right. So that's part of how I learned how to play my role. Going into Saginaw, like, I had to walk on. I didn't have a scholarship offer. The only reason I even knew about Saginaw, because the coach came to the game, we played Cass, I mean, we played King in a district final. We lose by two or three points or whatnot. And silly coach is asking about somebody else on our team. Like, who's number 15? It's like, well, number 15 is going to Toledo. Like, you don't need to be looking at him. You need to be looking at my son. Like, my son got a 3.8. Right. He got a 21 ACT. Like, you need to recruit him. Like, the other kid, you're not getting him. Right. right. Like, you D2, you ain't getting him. He was like, oh, your son got grades like that? Well, we're having an open gym in a couple weeks. Have him, have him come up. So that was my first introduction to the school was the coach came to the game looking for somebody. What even looking for me? And when I got to the campus and played in the open gym, said, oh, yeah, you're okay, but you could probably walk on. And in my mind, I was like, okay, well, I just got to earn my keep. And that's exactly what I did. And at the end of my freshman year, I won two awards, won the freshman award, hard work award, mm -hmm. and ended up being on scholarship for the next three years. Mm -hmm. But that process of me walking on and not getting, not getting a scholarship, like built my basketball career. Because mm -hmm. I knew I had to work. Mm -hmm. I had to work. Because if you've got to walk on, like you got to really work. Because the coach ain't trying to play you. Oh, no. They, they, don't, they look you. silly for playing you. So you a walk-on, you going to play a walk-on, and you got guys that you offer a scholarship and they playing over them? Like, you look silly to an athletic director, to a president, and it's like, this guy walked So you didn't recruit this guy? So the guy you recruited is not as good as the guy that's walking on. Exactly. Like, that's a problem. So At St. Francis, the walk-ons used to guard me like, like it, was, it was the NBA Finals. Mm -hmm. Because they felt like if, if, if they do anything against any guy on scholarship in practice, then they got a chance to earn themselves some money. Some money. Uh, so they went us like it. You know, they these guys was eating their beans out the can. They was yep. ready. Yep. The hardest workers. They the first in all the runs. And so I know, you know, in terms of you know watching guys who are walk ons, yep. how hard it is to to make a team. It's it's hard, but I knew I knew I was good enough. I knew I put in the work. I knew I came from a good program good team mm -hmm. i knew i was good enough to play at the level in the gliac the gliac at then it's not where it's at now <clears throat> now it's probably one of the best division two conferences in the country mm -hmm. then it was a good conference and it was a good d2 conference at the time so you had to be a good player to play in that conference i knew that i could play at that level so that just made me work even harder and the seniors had enough had a problem coming mm -hmm. every day in practice they had a problem coming and then once i earned my scholarship i took it from there they didn't know that you was cash on delivery. Did they, they didn't know. They found out. <laughs> they found out. No, because see, when you walk on, and this is what people don't know, when you walk on and you're part of the scout team, like the coaches ain't looking for you. They don't care what you do. They like, ah, we're not looking for them. We're looking at the, the one guys, the two guys. We ain't looking for them. So one day we're working on zone. And whenever I see zone, my eyes light up because I'm a shooter. So you gonna, we going to work on zone the whole practice? Okay, coach, come on. I'm on the scout team, the, the team you ain't worried about? I, oh, I made everything. I didn't miss a shot the entire practice. We practiced for three hours. I made everything. So it got to the point where it was like, I guess he really can shoot. Like, he ain't missed. Like, coach, like, it got so he got so mad at the two, three defense. Like, oh, you guys just can't guard anything. Like, like no, like, the guy over there is just making all the shots. So it's just, it's just one of those things where uh, you take advantage of the opportunity. Mm. And in sports, whether you're a star player, whether you're a bench player, at some point you're going to have the opportunity to produce. And I got the opportunity to produce when I was a freshman or a sophomore, and I took it from there. And, you know, it led into me coaching. And what I'm doing now with men recruit. Wow. Yeah, so four years at Saginaw, yep. uh, a number of, of, of stops coaching. Yes. Um, uh, in and around the city, uh, mm -hmm. in the PSL, Oak yep. Park now is, yep. is where you are. Uh, and so I think, you know, question for me is, you know, after four years of Saginaw, what really got you into coaching? To be quite honest with you, I had no pro. I, I didn't want to be a coach. Mm. I didn't want to be a coach. My dad was a coach. He never mm -hmm. coached me. Uh, but it wasn't my plan to be a coach. It's just in the in that era, in 2003, 2004, it wasn't a social media era. Mm. If you weren't out here as far as, I remember talking to agents when I came out of college, 
And their very first question was, what round did you get picked in the draft? And I'm like, I didn't get picked in the draft. It's like, <laughs> and they hang up. Right. The right after that, like, oh, I didn't get picked in the draft. He was like, hello, hello, am I, am I talking to somebody? Like, right. I was trying to play. I mm -hmm. thought my jump shot was good enough to get paid for. That's what mm -hmm. was, that was my thought. And my dad the whole time was like, okay, all right, well, you can play. You could go overseas and play for a little bit. But what you going to do when you're 30? Mm -hmm. You're going to want to coach when you're 30. He said, you can make more, like in that 10-year span, say you can make much more, you can get much more done coaching than you could playing. Say, yeah, if you play till you're 30, you come back, you got some money. But then you starting at ground zero for coaching at 30. Why don't you just start now at 23? And I was a knucklehead. Of course I was. Right. I was young, and I didn't have an agent. <laughs> like, I was. Because everybody up. going to the league. Yeah, right. In my mind, I thought I was. Right, right. I mean, you just didn't know. Like, as a basketball player, you're supposed to think like that. You're supposed to have Absolutely. high exactly. expectations. Exactly. Everybody's going to the league. And for me, I was just trying to get overseas. And I was still playing. I was playing semi-pro. I played in the IBL. Went over to Austria. Played for a little bit. So I had a little taste of playing overseas, and all of that was done without an agent. With I, I made my own mixtape. It, it, it led me into learning how to build a highlight film. Right, mm. was making my first highlight film when I was a player. So when I became a coach, I already knew how to do it. Now let me ask you this: when you when you were playing overseas, mm. did you did you obviously uh, I could tell that you knew you could have played in the NBA. I mean. Well, I, you, I, I, you, I, let's hold on. I mean, <laughs> not I, the NBA, I, I, but I knew I could play overseas. NBA okay. is a different level. Gotcha, I'm not going to gotcha, say that. I'm not gotcha. going to say I could have played at NBA, no. But to play overseas, I thought my jump shot was good enough to get paid for. Okay. Right? right. I'm not saying the NBA. I ain't going to go there. Okay. Right? But to be able to play basketball overseas, I thought I, I thought my jump shot was good enough. Okay. Gotcha. But it was gotcha. a different game, though. Mm -hmm. So the the game of a shooter being able to stand in a guy like Klay Thompson or, or Steph Curry to be able to stand and to make threes that wasn't the game in the early two thousands. Mm -mm. It was still a big man's game. No, big it was game, it was right? that, that the game was played fifteen feet in. in. Today right. the game is played fifteen, 15 feet, feet out. out. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so guys who can shoot the ball are at a premium right now, uh, and especially if you can do it with size for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. And if I played in today's era, oh man, yeah, debate to say NBA, probably I won't say NBA, but I probably would have played. If I played in today's era, I would have been a player, not a coach, because I would have mm. played 15 years overseas because I could make threes right. with my eyes closed. You was a specialist. Like, oh man, that's what I do. Right. But back when I came out of school, like that wasn't how the game was played. Mm. It wasn't played like that. So it kind of that's what transferred me into coaching. It kind of happened like by accident. So I'm playing overseas. I'm playing in Austria. It's a bad deal. We're playing the best teams over there. And they tell you, oh, we're going to go over there. We're going to play the best teams. And we're going to sign American players. I'm like, cool. But I got 15. I got 11 other teammates from different parts of the country. We don't know each other. I got a guy from Texas. A guy from New Orleans. This is when Katrina happened. He was from New Orleans when right. Katrina happened. When mm. we flew overseas. A guy from Dallas. A guy from Philly. A guy from New York. Different players. So we get over there. And the guy is like, we're like, we need to practice. We need to sharpen our skills so we can get jobs. And he's like, you guys play ball. You guys play ball your whole life. You need to practice. <laughs> we're like, what are you talking about? We don't, I don't know, dude. Like, right, dude dude's right. from Miami. I don't know him. So we went over there. And we looked crazy. Like, we didn't beat any of their teams because the basketball was such at a high level. We didn't beat anybody. Right. So when I came back, I'm like, all right, well, I just went to Austria. I'm going to try to go over to Germany and do the same thing. Well, I got a phone call. Got a phone call from a girl that I went to CAS with. Mm -hmm. When you go to schools like CAS, King, Renaissance, you have connections. Mm -hmm. You have people that can help you in life. Mm -hmm. Right? So a friend of mine calls me. My auntie need a coach. I'm like, yo, auntie need a coach. I'm already coaching JV. I was coaching JV at Ferndale at the time just because. Because I was back in the city. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be involved with the game. I'm coaching at Ferndale. Mm -hmm. My auntie need a coach. All right, well, tell her to give me a call. Send her my resume. She calls me. I'm thinking she need a JV coach. She's like, I need a varsity coach. I was like, oh, do you need a varsity assistant? No, I need a varsity head coach. So I'm 23 at the time. Still young. Just out of college. And I'm like, let me entertain this. Right? I tried going overseas. Didn't work. Let me see if this works. So we, we meet somewhere, and she's blown away at my resume. She's blown away at the things that I'm trying to do. And she's like, I want you to be my head coach. And I was like, okay, I'm, let's get it. And this was at Detroit CMA at the time. And we ended up making the playoffs. This is back when only four teams made mm -hmm. the – well, eight teams, the top two yep. teams in the, in the division made the playoffs. Yep. Right, right. And we made the playoffs. So that was a big deal. 
CMA so, was a small school, very at small, the time. very um, small it, school. It hadn't been hadn't been in existence for very long at that time. Yep. Uh, you were able to able to get in there and and, and do some some good things and get yes on, yes get so we playoffs. so we made the playoffs and then that kind of turned people's heads like oh okay this guy come in year one they make the playoffs in the PSL he got to be doing something so at that moment when I started coaching at CMA it was like okay coaching is this is what I want to do and I went full blast at it uh, coaching clinics going to the final four mm-hmm. uh, like just picking up any information that I could at the time reading books. I had a, a basketball Bible I was reading at the time, just really sharpened my craft at a young age mm-hmm. because when I figured, when I hung them up, it's like, all right, I ain't gonna play no more. I thought I could be a really good coach because I had some coaches that didn't do it the right way. Right. And I'm like, ah, I know how I could do this. Right. That's I why a lot of guys get into <laughs> get into coaching yeah. because hey, you, 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 look you, you look at right. you look at you look at how you were coaching, you be like, ah, I, I needed this. Uh, when I was uh, a youth, I needed that. I wish exactly. I had a coach that 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 motivated me in this way. Uh, and so I'm going to get into coaching so I can make sure that I can motivate other kids in the way that I, I felt like I needed at that age. I always wanted to be the coach I wanted to play for. Yeah. Mm. And I think I never played for that coach. Mm. I never played for the coach that I wanted to play for. So that's kind of how I built my, you know, my coaching experience. I I didn't want to be the player's coach. Of course, I am the player's coach, but I wanted to be the coach I wanted to play for. Mm. So all the things that I did and all the things that I do in practice, I'm not going to do anything that I didn't agree with as a player. Mm. Right. So all the all the things that I'm doing. I'm doing with the mindset of a basketball player, not a coach. Mm -hmm. And that helped me early on in my career. It helped me with practice. It helped me with games, especially helped me with player development. Because when I was at Cass, we never had open gym. Not a single one. We never had an open gym. I never had a workout. So it was like when I got to college and we did individual workouts, I was like, Oh, this is what coaches are supposed to be doing. Mm. Like, this is how you get better at your craft. This is how you get guys better. Mm. And I, I had a coach, uh, Mike Peck. Mike Peck coached at Philly Prep. He won national championships at Philly Prep. He coached in the G League. Uh, right now, he's at um, UTSA as an assistant. He's a, he's a Nike coach. Mm-hmm. To be a Nike coach, you got to be really good. Okay. Right? He coached Tristan Thompson. He coached Corey Joseph, plays for the business. Like, he coached a lot of NBA players. That was my college coach, my assistant. Everything that he said, I soaked it up. Mm-hmm. You want to know why I soaked it up? Because that's the only coach I knew could shoot better than me. Mm-hmm. Like, he would mm-hmm. outshoot me in practice. He'd be like, shit, you think you good? Bam, 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 bam. And I'd be like, oh, man, this guy is phenomenal. But whenever we did stuff in practice, he always had a counter. He always had a different look at things. Mm-hmm. And I developed some of my coaching craft off of that because as I'm building staffs as a head coach, I want people that played the game. That coach played the game. Mm-hmm. My head coach, he would try to tell me how to shoot, and he couldn't shoot. That was mind-boggling to me. You're the head coach. You're trying to critique my shot, and you shoot crooked. <laughs> so when you actually shoot, you shoot crooked, but you're going to try to tell me to shoot straight? Like, I just, I never could understand that until the assistant was like, no, this is how you really shoot. Mm-hmm. And then that's when it was like, okay. Like people learn me, me for sure. I learned better from coaches that played the game. So my coaches that play on my staff, coaches mm-hmm. that I around, surround myself with, they have played. The they game. played the game. Played the game. You're not somebody that's sitting on the brown couch that just never played the game, or you played football and you just happen to be a basketball coach. Like no, like, you have to be able to play the game. Right, I agree so, with that. Right. I agree with that. And so you had a number of stops yep. um, in, in coaching from CMA to Renaissance. Yep. Um, uh, you talked about coaching at Ferndale. Mm. Went back to Saginaw Valley as an assistant at one yep. point, um, and then now um, you, you you have your own uh, uh, re- recruiting platform. Correct. Um, uh, Mitten recruiting. Talk about how you uh, got into doing that. Why you got into it, uh, and, and and what is it actually? What are you trying to accomplish? Okay, so it, it started when I was coaching in college. I'm coaching in college, and I'm recruiting players. I'm spending time in Indiana. I'm spending time in Chicago. I'm spending time in Ohio. And a buddy of mine was like, man, we got good players here in Michigan. Why are you spending all your time in Indiana? At the time, the class in Indiana was much better than the class in Michigan at the time. Mm-hmm. So there were players in Indiana. So I understand that I need to be in Michigan, but the bills got to get paid. So we need some of these players. And they were in Indiana at the time. But what I learned was, and when I got there, they had guys from overseas on the roster. 
And I'm like, why do you have these guys from Australia on the roster? And the guy's like, well, we could get two Aussies for one. And I'm like, okay, well, if you get two Aussies for one, like that gives you an advantage. But what if the Aussie ain't no good? What if they ain't no good? What if you just got two mediocre players just because you could get two for one? Mm. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking there's got to be better players here in Michigan. And what I kept trying to feed him was guys here in Michigan. And he didn't really want to recruit Michigan players. And I spent all my time in Michigan. I played here. I coached here. Coached high school. AAU, you so you knew the Michigan. talent. I, mean, I knew the talent. You knew the talent. Right. If you don't want Michigan players, I'm the wrong guy for the job. So, Cam, what do you say? To, so so I graduated in 1993. Yep. Okay. When I graduated from high school uh, here in Detroit, it's fresh off of the Chris Webbers, the Jalen Rose, the Vashon Leonard's, that era, mm-hmm. where you can go to any, a college coach can go to any high school in the city. Didn't matter. Didn't matter which school. Didn't matter if they had a, a quality coach or not. Didn't matter if the program was good or not. You were going to go and run into at least two Division One basketball players at every high school in this city. Facts. Okay? Mm. That probably extended from the mid-'80s through the 90s and some in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's hard for me to say that that's the case today. It isn't. Talk to me about the difference between the 90s in terms of recruiting mm-hmm. in the city of Detroit for basketball players yep. and what you see today. Well, there's a lot of factors. And the first factor is in the 90s, we had over a million people living in Detroit. Right. Population. Population. When I was at CAS, even in the late 90s, we had 3,500 students at CAS. Mm-hmm. There isn't a single school in Detroit right now that's more than 2,000 students. Right. right. So we'll just we'll just start there. Uh, it ain't a million people living in Detroit right now. Maybe it ain't, it ain't 500. They try to tell you, oh, it's 750,000. It ain't. It's barely 500,000, to be quite honest with you. Right? So that's part of the dynamic. You had a lot of people leaving the city. And the coaching in the 90s was much different than the coaching now. The coaching in the 90s was a fraternity. ABCD camp. It was a fraternity. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what, even though I didn't want to be a coach, I was intrigued by the fraternity of coaches. They would meet every Thursday at Green's Barbecue on the east side on Mac. Right. And they would have ribs and beers, and they'll sit around, and they'll talk basketball every single Thursday. Perry Watson, for Harry For 30 Harrison, years. Everybody, you name guys. it. You name it. Big all Doc. The, yes. All the top coaches at the time, they, con- they were a fraternity mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And you had kids that – I mean, you had coaches at the time. Not only are they coaching the high school teams, they're in the community centers. Mm-hmm. They're at Tyndall. They're at uh, Lasky. Johnson Rec. They're at Johnson Rec. They're, the coaches that coach at the schools in the community, they coach at the community center, mm-hmm. right? Well, when you close down all the community centers, well, where the coaches are going to be? Right. Where the players are going to go? So when they close down all the community centers in the city and then you don't have the coaches that are coaching at the high school coaching in their actual communities, that's when there started to be a disconnect. Mm -hmm. There started to be a disconnect between the coach and the neighborhood basketball player. And now you got kids that they might go to King. They might stay on the West Side. Like that never happened in the 90s. Oh, never. 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 You're not going to go to Henry Ford in the 90s. You're not going to go to Henry Ford and live in Redford District. It's not happening. Kids don't play for the neighborhood anymore. They don't. don't. And I think one of the school, you know, it it, it was nothing. I I remember going, so so, so we played at 7 o'clock in the Catholic League. Mm -hmm. And the PSL would play at like at 3.30, I would go to Cody McKenzie and it'd be packed. Yep. It'd be the game of the week. And then we would go that night, and it's Benedictine against the Poors. We'd be playing mm-hmm. against the Poors. Right down the street. Right down the street. 
our schools were right here. Yep. And all those kids stayed in the same neighborhood, went mm. to the same middle schools, went mm. the same. Yeah, yeah. Same for the the you know the the the, the Cooley and Cody mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. the Persian Osborne game, the yep. Cass King game. Yep. You know there 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 has been a lack of or dissipation of really the neighborhood schools. Yep. So kids didn't play for their neighborhoods anymore. No. There was a pl- there was a, a level of pride playing for Seven Mile. Yeah. Yep. For right. sure. A level of pride playing on Hubble. Mm-hmm. You, you felt a certain type of way right. playing for your neighborhood. You did. Then the kids have today. I almost feel like they're actually cheated because when you strap them up and you at Persian mm-hmm. and you playing for Seven Mile and Ryan, mm-hmm. Seven Mile and Ryan it's is at the, the game. Building. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. Right. They're oh. at the game. Listen, when we played Central in '98 at Central, all them NFL dudes was right, right. baseline. And if you said anything crazy, they was gonna get at you. Don't mm-hmm. miss a layup. No, don't do it. They don't got a couple it. grand on the game. Yes, sir. And it was <laughs> yep. real. Yep. It right. was real. It was real. You don't have that anymore. You don't. No, you, you don't. don't. You, you don't. don't. I mean, it's 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 a, like I said, there are a lot of factors that lead to it. It's just a different game. It's a different era. Like you can't even compare the eras anymore Mm-mm. because the schools are different, the city is different, the coaches are different, and it's just. Of course, we want to go back to when the PSL and basketball was thriving. Kobo. Oh, Kobo. Friday oh, night. My goodness. Yeah, Friday night lights. Oh you man. You want to go back to that, but you you can't. Because it's different. It's different now. These kids have no idea. They don't even know about Kobo. They have no idea. It was like, oh, it was a gym in there? It was a floor? Like, y'all play basketball games Right, there? right. It's not even called Kobo anymore. No, no. What's it called? TCF? It's the TCF Center. Yeah, it's called TCF Center. So when you say Kobo, they're like, what's Kobo? Like, well, Kobo used to be a TCF Center. They're like, oh, y'all play games there? So even kids that are coached, they have no idea of the history. Mm. I know we sound like a bunch of old heads right but now, that was, but that it's was, cool. That was, but that was that's, what it, that's what it was, and it's just it's just different now. And it's up to us, the coaches, to make sure that, all right, well, the era is different, but that doesn't mean that we can't achieve great things here, right here in the city of Michigan. So we'll see. So you talked about uh, a number of factors in terms of why, you know, th- th- there's such a difference now. I want to touch a little bit. I want you to touch a little bit on um, travel basketball. Let's get it. And, and its impact uh, on the high school game. And yep. it, it's it's also, in you know, in the middle school game and in youth sports as For well. Sure. Um, you know, right now, uh, if you want your kid to have a chance of getting a scholarship, whether that's Division One, Division Two, or any other – uh, 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 you know, scholarship or money going to going to college or university. They've got to be ranked on somebody's list. Period. They've got to be with the right AAU program. Mm-hmm. They got to be featured in that program. Mm-hmm. They've got to have a trainer. You got to have some access to a gym. You got to have a coach, a high school coach, a middle school coach that believe in them. And it's all just to get a scholarship? Oh, for sure. To, to have a chance. Yep. To have a chance. To have a chance. You might I gotta not even get all, it. I got to have all that. Yep. You got to play for the right shoe. You got to be on the right shoe company's uh, circuit. Yep. So the Under Armour, the Nike, the Adidas, you got to be on the right circuit to put yourself in a position. Talk about travel basketball. Yep. Because you're you're heavily involved in it. You, I am. You, you you play for Reach. You you coach mm-hmm. at Reach. Um, you know you you do a, you involve a lot of recruiting. Yep. Mm. Talk about the impact of that, the shoe companies, all of that in terms of like how that impacts high school athletics, youth sports in terms of basketball, and the college level. Okay, so a lot of people want to rag on AAU. They want to rag on travel basketball. And it's not the case. There are a lot of things that travel basketball or travel sports does very well. The one thing that travel sports does for athletes at high school is exposure. So let me ask real quick. You you know the the, the late, great Kobe Bryant would disagree with you on that, right? That's fine. And and I guess – what would your answer be to that? Kobe come in here and say, you know, I disagree with AAU basketball. You don't, you're not teaching fundamentals. It's all about the shoes. It's all about exposure. What about learning the game? Right. So here's what I'll say to that. You'll have bad basketball in high school. You'll have good basketball in high school. 
you'll have bad basketball and travel. You have good basketball and travel. It's all about who's running the program and who's doing the teaching. So if you're in a program and the coaches are high-level coaches, whether they coach high school, they've got um, resume where they coach college, they've had players that play at a high level, like if you're learning from those type of coaches, you can't go wrong. Now, if you're in a program where the coaches never played high school, they never played college, they never coached high school, never coached college, they just started a team with some money from some drug dealer or somebody, then you're in a different situation. So even in high school, you can be at a high school and it'd be a bad situation because the coach doesn't care. Like some high school coaches aren't very good. They're not going to work on fundamentals. They're going to roll the balls out on November 15th when the first day of practice, and they'll say, hey, you know, I'm here to collect the paycheck because I'm the social studies teacher. You'll have some high school coaches where, you know what, we're going to clinics. I'm going to take you to college uh, campuses. You're going to learn how to play at the college level. You're going to play travel teams for this program, this program only, or play for somebody that has some type of respect. And you're going to learn in that type of environment. So most people want to say travel basketball is bad. It's not the case. And I'm going to tell you why. When I coach travel basketball, I coach my travel basketball team for reach like I coached my high school team. So when parents came to my practices, they said, oh, well, this is different. Oh, you're doing closeout drills? You're working on shell? You're working on how to guard the ball screen? You're running sets? You're running baseline out of bounds plays? You're calling timeouts with, with a minute to go and call, drawing the plays? Like, yeah. So I used to tell coaches in that era because in the mid uh, 2010s era, like 2014, 2015, it was a lot of coaches that they didn't want to coach travel basketball. Mm. That were high school coaches. They said, oh, man, you shouldn't coach AAU, man. Like, AAU basketball is terrible. What I found out was the opposite. I went to Wisconsin, and I kid you not, I went in a the gym. There were five courts in the gym, right? I show up, and on the five courts in the gym, spectators on one side, college coaches on the other side. The college coaching side was completely filled. So we're talking about seven or 800 coaches in one gym. So it's like, when we talk about exposure at the high school level in Detroit, right now, mm. you're not going to get 700 coaches. Right. You're not going to get in front of 70 coaches. Sometimes you might not play in front of seven, right? It's 700 out there. So if you do what you're supposed to do, the coach is just like, oh, who was that? What's that name? And I, and I got a story for you. So we're watching Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis played at Frederick Douglass, one of the best players to play at Frederick Douglass outside of Pierre Brooks Jr. Real good player. Very good player. Mm -hmm. Play that date. So at the time, he's playing for Reach. And we're at the tournament, right? Doesn't have any offers. He's playing against another top five, a five-star, right? Mm -hmm. He puts 30 on the five-star. So during the game, you see the coaches pick up their phone, and they call in the other assistant coaches. They're like, yeah, hey, we want to offer. So – in the first half, it was Dayton that offered. In the second half, it was Iowa that offered. It was Iowa State that offered. He left the game with six offers because he scored 40 against a five-star. Mm. So being able to gain that exposure like really helped him because at Detroit Frederick Douglass, ain't nobody coming to watch him at Detroit Frederick Douglass. They not, agree, right? So travel sports allows that exposure. Now, am I going to say that all travel sports is good? No, I've seen some terrible coaches at the travel sports level. But I've also seen some bad coaches at the high school level. Like, I've gone into some high school coaches as a college coach, and I'm like, so this is what y'all do in practice? Mm -hmm. So you just going to do the three-man weave, and you can go on a three-on-two, and you're just going to scrimmage. Like, that's not going to prepare you for the college level. So there's a yin and a yang. You're going to have some good. You're going to have some bad. In my experience, travel sports is needed I agree. It's I, needed. Too, I, 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 my son experienced that on the football level, yeah. traveling. Yeah. With, you know, sound mind, sound body with uh, Brother Kurt Blackwell early on in his football playing career. So it does. Uh, he then, got offers. But then again, it's, it's about who you surround yourself with. Correct. That program is outstanding. Right. When it comes to football in the city of Detroit, the sound mind, sound mind, sound body program in Detroit for football players is outstanding. Is. Now, if he was in another program that wasn't as high level as that one, he might not have gained the same exposure. So that's what I'm saying. Like it's all the, it all depends on who you surround your your son or your daughter with, as far as skill level is concerned, and the coaching as well. Gotcha. Yeah, and I, so so you know we we talked about travel basketball. Yep. Um, the the one thing. Uh, one factor that we haven't talked about yet, mm. and I want you to touch on it, uh, is the role that parents play. Mm. Uh, now, sometimes your parents can be 
uh, obviously your biggest advocates because they love you. Uh, and they can also be the ones that keep you from uh, reaching your full potential. For sure. Uh, so talk a, talk a little bit about how the role that parents play uh, in a recruiting process, you know, in, in travel basketball process, and some of the pitfalls that some parents may, may, may fall into. And then some advice mm. um, for parents. It's, it's funny you ask that question. It's a great question. I was talking to a parent today, signed his son up for – uh, my showcase here at November 6th here in the future. So uh, he was like, you know, I'm not that kind of parent that's really going to push my son and do too much. And I was like, listen, there's a difference between doing too much and being proactive. I was like, in today's world, in the social media world, you have to be proactive, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between being proactive and doing too much because college coaches notice parents. I've had players who played for me, who, who their parents were so obnoxious that the coach is like, there's no way right. that I'm going to offer that kid because if I offer him, I got to deal with the parents, right. Right? right? So they're not only looking at the player, they're looking at the parents. So there's a, like I said, there's a big difference between doing too much and being proactive. As parents, what you have to do is be proactive. You got to make sure you got transcripts. You got to make sure you're putting them in the best environment, having trainers, really what what used to happen was the coach used to be the trainer, right? But the coach ain't the trainer no more. So no. now the coach coaches when he's supposed to coach. And now you go out and get a trainer in other hours and stuff like that. But you have to put your student athlete in the position to succeed. That means getting trainers, like you said, mm -hmm. putting them in a high level AAU program. You have to be proactive. You got to You got to go out to uh, camps. You got to visit campuses. You got to email coaches and it might seem like you're doing too much. But what I learned as a college coach was I never left an email unopened. Mm. I'm always going to open the email. Right. Now, what I get in the email might be different. Mm. I'm going to open the email. I'm going to click the link. Now, if you can't play, I'm going to go to the next email. That's part of my job. <laughs> I got to do something. Right, right. Right? I got to right. do something. Now, I get emails I, every how day. How long does it take you to evaluate a player per, on tape, click that email, Huddle fast, bam. Fast. Sometimes well, I don't even. Sometimes you have to click the link. I already know. I already know. Sometimes, like it all depends on the presentation, mm -hmm. the subject line. If you got the email in the subject line, I'm not clicking that. You don't even know how to write an email. Mm, right. If the email, if you never, if you don't have a period, like come on, like you gonna try to get recruited in college and you don't have a period, you just got a run on sentence going on about who you didn't play in high school with. Nah, not reading that. But if the subject line says three point eight GPA, two, uh, you know, twenty four in the ACT, average seventeen a game from my high school. Oh, okay, cool. Let me click on that. Let me find out about that. Mm. So, do you tell parents your kid is not the next LeBron James? No. Do you tell parents your kid is not the next Amani Bates? No. Do you tell parents your kid is 5'3 and can't <laughs> shoot a jump shot? Right. And is slow as molasses. Right. And is not ready for this level. I mean, what right. do you tell parents? This is what I tell parents. Every player is different. I'm never going to tell a player they can't make the NBA because I got players playing in the NBA. I'm never going to tell a player they can't play overseas because I got players overseas. What I'll say is this. Those guys are different. It's not just basketball. It's genetics. It's academics. It's about the program you come from. There are a lot of factors that lead those type of players like Imani Bates and those type of people to those levels. Mm -hmm. So if your son is 5'3", what I'll say is this. How many 5'3 players are in the NBA right now? You won't, it ain't Muggsy Bogues, those days are over. Uh, Spud Webb, those days are over. Mm -hmm. So if your son's aspiration is to play in the NBA and he's 5'3 and you 5'5 five five and your wife is 5'4, is chances are he ain't gonna grow. So, <laughs> like, we did, right, right. We, we deal it, I deal with facts, I deal with the truth. And whether the parents handle it or not, that's what I deal with. I deal with the truth. And if you get to be six feet, he might not be your son. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You might have some other you questions in your family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hold on. He's 6'3". How the Exactly. Exactly. So I deal, yeah. with, I deal with the facts, and I tell parents like this. The first thing I ask, I'm going to be quite honest with you. How tall is your mom? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. How tall is your mom? Because yeah. genetics usually land on the mother's side of the family. Mm -hmm. So if your mom is small, but all the people in her family are tall, you got a good chance you might grow. But if your mom is 5'6", mm -hmm. and her sister is 5'5", five five, yeah, and yeah. her daughter is 5'2", yeah. and your uncle is 5'7", you ain't going to be 6'5". It ain't happening. And we waiting it's, for that 6'8 over yeah, here. It's right. not happening. That six, well, look at your genetics, though. Look at right, genetics. Right. How tall are you? <laughs> I'm 6'4". Okay, how tall is your... The, the mother of your child. He's about 6'2 now. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. He's about 6'2 now. That's what I'm saying. So he has genetics on his side. Yeah, they got right. a footer over yeah, there. Oh, yeah. And all that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're not going to be a seven footer and the mom 5'9 <laughs> and a dad 5'5. Five five. It's not going to happen. <laughs> right, so that's right. what I deal with when I talk with parents. I talk in specifics. But what I'll tell parents is this like, it can happen. Right, it can happen in the very who knows. You might have the one that's five five, and he the best five player in the country, and all the coaches want him. And I'm gonna tell you like this: they not looking for players as five five. No, mm -hmm. not at they all. not. They not. not. At all. Mm -hmm. They looking for players for size, athleticism, speed. Like if you six feet, like even guys right now that are six feet are at a disadvantage because I can find a six foot guard anywhere. Right. That's the one thing I learned coaching in college. Mm. I can find a six foot guard in Chicago. I can find them in Indy. I can find them in St. Louis. I can find them in Florida. I can find them in Texas. And here I am with five, six foot guys here in Michigan. And I got to tell one of them, hey, listen, like I just seen a guy yesterday drop 30, he's six feet. Right. Mm -hmm. He got right, the same right. grace, if not better than you. So yeah. what's setting you apart from those? So what I tell parents is this. You have to prepare for if your son doesn't make that. Well, what happens if your son never gets an offer? Mm -hmm. If they never get a D1 offer, never yeah. get a D2 offer? They might have a 4.0 GPA. You might go to a D3 school and be better off going to a D3 school because that school has a 90% rate for guys coming out being lawyers or being doctors. Right, right. right. So point. you might want to look at that. Basketball might not be in your future. It may not but you, be your you have to have that uncomfortable conversation with your child and say, listen, you 5'9", and I know you love basketball, but guess what? There's more things that you can do with the game of basketball. I've had guys go to Michigan and be student managers, and now they're D1 assistant coaches. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, right yeah, and they're yeah, five yeah. nine mm, but yeah. they realize in their basketball somebody had to tell them no that's right but a lot of times a lot of people don't tell the parents that that's a route that they can go like listen palinka palinka right that's there you right, go right. Rob, but rob palinka was on the team now. he was on the team and he was a good player, good player. i know he was kobe's but agent he, he seen rob that, palinka was a hey, good player instead of playing with these guys why not represent correct someone? that's right he's gonna be millionaires that's correct. right and, and to your point cam the ball doesn't always have to stop bouncing right so before we let you out of here, we're gonna go to our three one three segment. Let's do three, it. Three one three, three, baby. One, one, yes, sir. Three. You had a, you had a taste earlier. I had did. A taste. I did have a taste. <laughs> you got a little taste early uh, now. I probably might fail. You know, it's all good. So. I know who one of these people are gonna be. You might. You might. I not. know who one of these people you are might gonna not. be. You might. But not. I need you to name your yep. three favorite shooters. My three favorite shooters. Regardless of level. Regardless of gender. Ooh. Man, now that is a good one. I thought she was going to hit me with the three players. Oh, oh, I got man. that. <laughs> my three favorite shooters. My first favorite shooter would have to be Gerald Johnson. Mm -hmm. Gerald Johnson played for me at Renaissance. To shoot it. Oh, like, shoot. like he would say, shoot oh, the blood. Shoot the blood. He can shoot the blood. But listen, the, the thing about G was this. Like, he also played in an era where, like, Little, not even little guards, but being able to make threes wasn't really like that. Mm -hmm. So he used to make four, five, six threes in the game like it was nothing. Right. Like he averaged 15 points a game, they're probably all threes. Right. Like, but he would make four, five, six threes in a game like mm -hmm. it was nothing. And, you know, even him, he told me, he said, Coach, you know, I want to be a point guard. And I'm like, Why you want to be a point guard? Like, you shoot 45, 47% from three. Like, you know, but he thought it was a diss that people called him just a shooter. Mm. Said Coast, all they say is I'm just a shooter. And I'm like, so did Ray Allen? So did Reggie <laughs> Miller? Like, so like being just a shooter, right. Glenn Rice, being just a shooter can lead you to other things. So mm. I would have to put G on that list only because like he shot it at shuts. Even when I was coaching, I was so young that I didn't even realize how good of a shooter he yeah, was, was until yeah. I got older. You know, now I realize, like, man, he was shooting 50% from three in high school. Like, it was nothing, mm. right? But layup. It was a layup. Right. It was a layup. So, that's how the game was played there. So, uh, got to mention G. 
Um, I probably should mention Paul. Uh, Paul Williams that played for me that played that day. Remember he Paul? Was a, he was a really yeah, good Paul. shooter that Paul, played was, for was me. Was he a lefty? He lefty. was a lefty. Yeah, Paul was a uh, lefty. Yeah, he was a lefty. Mm -hmm. I'll mention Paul for sure uh, because I remember being at the Final Four mm -hmm. and they were playing on the screen and John Beeline was like, didn't that, didn't that guy play for you? And I was like, it was a problem. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, no yeah, doubt, yeah. no doubt, no <laughs> doubt, no yeah, doubt, no yeah. doubt. But he's yeah. at the Garden. He's yeah. making four, five, six threes against North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah, looking yeah. like, man, I should have had him. I'm like, you should you, you should have had him. Yeah. Right, right. But he didn't get him. He played at Dayton. Uh, so Paul Williams, I got to mention Paul Williams because he was a grown man playing against boys. Mm -hmm. And even in practice, like he would say, Coach, I'm about to make seven in a row. And it's bam, just knock him in. And it still it still was the era of like being a high level shooter mm -hmm. wasn't really like that. Mm -hmm. And uh like Paul Williams is there. And there are a lot of other guys I could probably mention. The last guy I'm gonna mention played for me at Saginaw, uh Jake Daniels. Okay. So Jake mm -hmm. Daniels um was a high level shooter. And the reason why I'm gonna mention Jake Daniels is because he worked his butt off. He was kind of like me. I ended up had to transfer. Mm -hmm. But guess what? He broke the record. He broke the school record for made threes in the game. He made nine. Cool. And I, for a guy that never played, like that was that was a big deal for him. I tell and my son all the time, there's always room on a roster for, for a shooter. shooter. Yeah. Always. I don't care how good you are, that you're you're one hundred percent right. There's always a place for a shooter. And Jake was one of those kids that just worked and he worked and he worked. And he only played two years at Saginaw. He ended up transferring and playing at Tron and having a nice mm -hmm. career. And matter of fact, he was at my event two weeks ago. Uh, so I had a chance, you know, to talk to him. But um, he was there. I mean, he would get on the gun and just shoot 90% like you're supposed wow. to shoot 90%. Wow. So, three. So that's three. your three. Three. Here's yeah, your one. Three. Yep. The best Detroit high school basketball player of all time. All time. Detroit. Oh man, that's a tough one. I mean, you got the guys yeah, is Persian. Oh man, I mean, yeah. like to to name the best basketball player in Detroit of all time is hard to do. Name the best one you've seen. The best one I've seen. I've coached against or seen in Detroit. In, in we Detroit. talking about the PSL. 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 Or the Catholic League. Well, we'll go Metro Detroit, and that's easy. If we go Metro Detroit, that's easy. I'm going to go PSL first. The best PSL player I've ever seen was Winfrey Walton, hands down. He was Carmelo before Carmelo. Beat him for the money my senior year. Mm -hmm. Catholic League, he played at East Catholic. He did. He did. Winfrey Walton was Carmelo mm -hmm. before Melo. He would get it off the glass. He would bring it up the floor. He could make the three. He could put you in the pinch post. You couldn't guard him. There was nothing you could do to guard yeah, him. I remember just, Winfrey. Yeah, mm -hmm. so the best PSL player I've ever seen, I would have to say, is Winfrey Walton. The mm -hmm. best Metro Detroit player I've ever seen is Rashad Phillips, hand down. Iverson. Iverson back in the yeah, day. Oh, for yeah. sure. I mean, yeah. I, I've yeah. I've seen shot and, and the reason why I got a little bit more information than most is because, you know, we played at Reach and at St. Mm -hmm. Rita's and I used to sit there and watch him work out. And he had a drill that we had to make a hundred threes in five minutes. And I'm like, it's no way he making a hundred threes in five minutes with one ball, two rams, full court. I'm like, that's crazy. It's no way he's 100 doing threes that. in five minutes. He made a hundred three. He would do it on the regular. Right. He would make a hundred threes in five minutes with one ball, no rebounder. Like seeing stuff like that was like, oh man, that guy, he gotta be there. But you know, having him dropping 40 against Persian in a in a regional final or a regional semifinal before they played South uh I mean Southfield Lathrop, uh, he was just he was just outstanding, man. So yeah, he was a beast. Uh, he was a beast. Yeah, it was it was, was for without a doubt, Rashad Phillips is easily the best guard I've ever Shout seen. Shout out Rashad Phillips. You still an all-time leading scorer at UD? For right now. For right, right now. now. Antoine yeah. Davis. Yeah. Twine. Yeah. Yeah. Twine. He had an extra year. Yeah. So he, yeah. Yeah. he had an extra year to do it. But he it, didn't but. play. Remember, they didn't play. He didn't play. They, they didn't. He was going to get that record anyway. Because like you said earlier, and we get back to the 3-1-3, that guy put up shots, man. I, I tell him all the time. Yeah, no, he can I shoot work it. at UD. He so he'll come in there oh, he with, when the school is closed and yeah. put out the jugs machine. And But that's what it takes to be a high-level shooter, though. Yeah, It's the same guy. He's going to set the record for made threes in NCAA. He's going to set the University of Detroit Mercy's record for score points. That is not done by accident. No, it's not. You got to live in the gym. And that's what you do. Stuff like that. Yeah. And then real quick, the last three. Yes, sir. The three people who've been most influential in your life? Uh, 
uh, the three people the most influential in my life. I'm going to name four because two of them I'm going to count for one. So, of course, my dad, for sure, rest in peace. No doubt. Mm -hmm. um, the, the impact that he made on the city of Detroit was unmatched. Um, for him to be able to uh, get so many people to school in the era where going to college wasn't a thing. You went to the plant. Uh, he got a lot of people in college. He got a lot of people jobs. Mm -hmm. He got a lot of coaches on. Like mm -hmm. the reason why that Murray Wright played Pershing for the state final at the Palace was because of him. Like you're never going to have two PSL teams play in the state championship anymore. Right. That was because of him. Yep. So like things like that, it, you know, he, he developed – you know, my love for the game of basketball, so I, I definitely mentioned my dad, Coach Mark for Reach. That's mm. kind of like my basketball dad. Yeah. Anything that I ever done basketball-wise, coaching, play, he's there. Good you people, know. man. Mark, oh, great people. people. I just had a, I just my clinic two weeks ago. He was there passing out the waters. He's like, all mm. right, you doing the camp? I'm going to be there. I got I got the coolest for you. You ain't got to pay me. I'm going to show up. Right. But everything I've done, he's been there. Um, so I'll say him, and then the last two, my brothers. My brothers have been great role models for me. Mm. And living in the state of Detroit, I'm mean, living in the city of Detroit, and having role models. Um, mm. My brothers were my role models because you know they're outstanding people, right? Yep. Not mm. just basketball wise, they're outstanding people. people. Um, they're family men. Um, they've been working for Ford and Detroit News and the Free Press for over 25, 30 years. And just being having that pedestal to say, you know what, I want to be like my brothers one day to be able to have a family, mm -hmm. to be able to have a stable job, to not have any beefs. Right, they don't right, have to look right. over their shoulder. No doubt. And we're all from the state, from the city of Michigan. I mean, it's, you know, city of Detroit, we're all from Seven Mile. Like, yep. I grew up on Seven Mile on the west side. Right. You know, saying that is is a big deal. So I'll say my brothers. Uh, my dad and Coach Mark. That's major. That's major. Yeah. Cam Nichols. Cam yes, Nichols. Thanks, Flash. Thanks, Flash. Where can the people find you? Plug your your social media so and then can, plug your camps. You can find me on social media, Coach Cam Thirty on IG and Twitter. Make sure you go to mittenrecruit.com for anything basketball wise in the high school uh, in the state of Michigan. We got showcases coming up on November sixth. I got a high school showcase showing up. We're having a uh, holiday classic. You guys are welcome to come. That's going to be at Macomb Community College, mm -hmm. December nineteenth. We got three games going on there, and the steam is rolling for Mitten Recruit. So expect a lot of big things from Mitten Recruit. When you see Mitten Recruit, you're going to see Coach Cam. So come yeah, holler at me. Sound like a live on. show. Sound like a live show at your camp. Oh, hey, let's do it. Hey, can we sit? Can we bring the couch? Do it. Bring the couch. Bring the cameras. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bring it all. We yeah, gonna set up shop. Bring it all. Yeah, November six will be at Oakland Fieldhouse. Come out there, do a live show, and uh, because we're gonna, we gonna have some great players. We doing girls in the morning, and we doing boys in the afternoon. So it's plenty of opportunity to see some high level basketball. Ooh, there it is. Coach Cam, the Brown Couch Bros. Brown Couch Bros. Another episode in the books. Cheers, my brother. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Three, two, one. We're out. We're out.